Thanks, Katie. Uh, g'day, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, there's three things I'm excited about. Uh, one is, uh, after I open up this part of God's Word together, um, and we sing, and then we'll pray, and then we'll have question and answer time. So I'm excited about question and answer time. Uh, the other thing I'm excited about is uh, newish. So if you're new or feel a little bit newish, it'd be great to catch up with you over dessert. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, the last thing I'm excited about is to open up this part of God's Word. So let's pray as we get stuck in. Um, and so uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the way that it reveals to us Jesus' kingdom and the way that it's so different to the world that we live in. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, be moved by your Spirit, uh, be convicted of the truth of your Word, so that we might be reshaped into people who realise how much we've been forgiven and therefore forgive others. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, I've got a photo. I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Uh, Jerome Caraville is his name. Uh, he should be coming up on the screen. He looks a bit forlorn, doesn't he? Looks a bit down in the dumps. Do you know why he's down in the dumps? Well, he has the largest personal debt in the world. Uh, he worked as a stock futures trader for a French bank. Uh, he was given a long leash by his superiors. He did billions, like literally billions of dollars worth of trades for the bank. But unfortunately for Jerome, not all of it was authorised. Uh, eventually his rogue trading was uncovered. And when it all came out in the wash, uh, on his own, he managed to rack up billions of dollars of debt for his bank. He lost billions of their dollars of their money and after he, he, he then got the sack they sacked him from his job I wonder why um, he was prosecuted by the police and then he was sent to jail for three years uh, and when he came out of jail he was given an IOU from the bank that was enforceable by the courts and his personal debt to the bank was more than eight billion dollars uh, he was walking around with an eight billion dollar student loan over his head can you imagine that um, what hope would he ever have of repaying it it's just an unbelievable sum of money. It's essentially a pointless sum of money, isn't it? To owe that much money, uh, it could never be repaid. But as outrageous as that seems, it's actually not too far from what's going on here in Matthew's Gospel, uh, in that passage that we read. There's this, we read about this hopelessly large debt, didn't we? Uh, and this, uh, this hopelessly large debt that is wiped out. And this passage is going to teach us all about forgiveness, uh, what it means to be forgiven, and how being forgiven by God fuels our forgiveness of others. How being forgiven by God fuels our forgiveness of others. Because uh, according to Jesus, forgiveness shapes his kingdom. Forgiveness shapes his counter-kingdom. And and a a kingdom that is shaped by forgiveness, it couldn't be more uh, counter or contradictory to our own experience of the world, is it? Uh, It's so contradictory to the the kingdoms of this world, to the politics of this world, to the cut and thrust of life under the sun... Uh, if you don't believe me, I'm, I'm, we're all a little bit too polite to say that we're not really up for forgiveness and we're really kind of uh, more into revenge. But um, there's uh, an English uh, writer, poet and atheist who's happy to call a spade a spade. And this is what he writes about forgiveness. He says this, I must confess that the idea of forgiveness is wholly alien to me. I'm not conscious of having ever truly forgiven anyone for any injury I can remember. What would forgiving someone feel like? I haven't the least idea. Uh, We live in a world where that's pretty normal, uh, where people have no idea what it would be like to forgive. And not only is forgiveness alien to um, 
Matthew, uh, the flip side, uh, he actually holds up revenge uh, rather than forgiveness. Revenge is a better way forward. Here is what he says about revenge. He says, revenge is not a sin. Revenge is a public service. I'm sorry to see revenge as a human emotion denigrated. The instinct is normal and healthy for intelligent human beings and for society as a whole. That's our world, isn't it? Revenge is a virtue. Uh, If you get bitten, then you bite back. Uh, Scores need to be settled. Debts must be repaid. Uh, This guy, uh, Matthew Paris, he actually sees revenge as essential for our evolutionary survival as a species. Uh, Forgiveness, that's actually based on weakness and will only send us backwards. But revenge, that's based on strength. And that's what will propel us forward as as an individual, but also as a species. He says revenge is just common sense. And forgiveness, well, that's just foolishness. Forgiveness is weakness. And into that world comes Jesus with his counter-kingdom, with his upside-down kingdom, with his revolution that is shaped not by revenge, but by forgiveness. Uh, so come with me to Matthew chapter 18, and here we're going to see uh, two pictures initially. We're going to see a, hopeless, a hopelessly large debt that's forgiven and a heartless debtor who is exposed. Uh, but it begins in verse 21 with a question. Have a look there in chapter 18, verse 21 with me. Uh, there's a question from Peter to Jesus. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now Peter asks Jesus, hey Jesus, is there a limit to forgiveness? Uh, is there a limit? How far shall we go? Now the first thing is, uh, we just need to realise that... Uh, um, Peter's not asking about the person who refuses to repent, the person who doesn't come and say sorry, or the person who doesn't acknowledge their sin. Remember, if you were here last week, we, we talked about that process, uh, about how we're to take sin seriously amongst us, and if someone won't repent, then we're to we're talk to them privately, then we're to talk to them with someone else, then we're to bring it to the church, and, and if they still won't repent, then they have to be cast out of the fellowship of God's people. Uh, so this isn't about someone who's not repenting, Uh, and getting off scot-free. And the question that Peter is asking here is about a brother or sister, a fellow follower of Jesus, who keeps coming back and asking for forgiveness. They keep stuffing up and they keep asking again and again for forgiveness. And Peter's asking, how many times do we do this? How many times do we bear with someone? He's like, Jesus, how many times, how many chances do I have to give someone before we start excluding them from the church? Before we say enough is enough? Uh, now, before we accuse Peter of being um, unforgiving or trying to find uh, a limit so he doesn't have to be so gracious, uh, it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the day, they said that you had to forgive three times. You only had to forgive three times. And what Peter's doing, he's upping the ante. He's like, how about seven times, Jesus? That's more than double the Pharisees. But how does Jesus reply? How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister, Peter asked? Jesus says, verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, Peter, you should forgive in an unlimited way. There should be no end to your willingness to forgive. You think seven, Peter. Well, how about 77? Or it could actually also be read as 70 times seven. That's 490. There should be no upper limit, Peter. We should, uh, there shouldn't be any limit on forgiveness, Uh, And you haven't really begun to understand forgiveness uh, if you're unwilling to forgive others, says Jesus. And he makes this point by telling a parable. 
Uh, it's a story about a hopeless debt that's been forgiven and a heartless debtor who is exposed. Uh, so we begin with the parable, verse 23. Have a look there in 23. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, we'll just kind of pause it there. Imagine uh, this man, he gets a phone call from the bank manager. The king wants to see you. It's time to cough up. Uh, and as, they, as he comes into the royal court and they start to read out the balance, there's kind of this audible gasp. <gasps> the amount that's read out, it's, it's an eye-watering amount. It says 10,000 bags of gold. We don't really trade in bags of gold. Uh, does anyone have any, any idea what the, the current gold price is per kilo? Any idea? $90,000 a kilo of gold. Now, imagine, just imagine that one bag of gold weighed a kilo, and that would mean that this servant owes a debt of $900 million. But if you look in your Bible, there's actually a footnote. And the original uh, says uh, 10,000 talents. Now, a single talent, one talent, was 20 years' wages. So one talent is 20 years' wages. I got the abacus out last night and I um, worked out that in today's money, I'm a bit older than the most of you, that's okay. I worked out that in today's money, uh, 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of about $10 billion. Now, the other thing to realize here is that the number 10,000 in the original language, it was the highest number you could write, is the highest numeral. Uh, and the other thing, you couldn't write a higher numeral. Uh, and a talent was the highest, uh, or a bag of gold, was the highest measure of currency. Uh, and so it's the highest number with the highest measure of currency. And so I wonder if Jesus is using these two things and putting them together, not so much to give us an exact amount, but just to say this debt was mind-blowingly large. It's like how we would say, oh, how many COVID cases were there? Oh, there was like a bazillion COVID cases. We're just, it's, just, it's just a way of saying an unbelievably large number. This servant owes an incalculable debt, a hopeless debt, a debt that could never be repaid. But now the time has come. And the king does want to settle accounts. And then verse 25. Verse 25, since he, the servant, was not able to repay, well, clearly... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, the servant's offer here, it's, it's, it's laughable, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous. This debt is, is so large, it's incalculable. It's impossible for him to repay it. I mean, there's no refinancing, there's no payment plan, there's no garnishing of wages that's going to make a scratch on the debt that's owed. And so the idea that all is required by the king is just a little patience. Just be patient with me and everything will be paid back. What's well, laughable? It's a hopeless debt. It's an impossible situation. And so all he can do is, is, is throw himself on the ground and beg for the master's pity. Throw himself on the master's mercy. And so what does the master do? Well, remember this master is well within his rights to sell the servant and his family and all their possessions into slavery to recover the debts. But what does he do? Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. 
That's remarkable. Some would even say that's reckless. There's no demand for future payment. There's no strings attached. There's not even a rebuke. How can you be so stupid to run up such a big debt? It's just a simple, straight cancellation. The hopeless debt is forgiven and he is free to go. And it's breathtaking, isn't it? I mean, we really f- find it hard to know what this is like. We forget Debts aren't often forgiven. Um, now, my family, we haven't had a good run with libraries. Uh, last week, uh, for you, those of you here, I, you might remember I told you how I was kicked out of the library during high school and I was banned for the rest of the term. Uh, well, more recently, we found out that my wife, Adele, had incurred a significant library fine. It was nine whole dollars. And what we thought we'd do is we'd take up a special offering at church to help repay the debt. Um, but... We didn't have to do that because the library had this genius scheme where we could repay the debt with cans of food and they'd be donated to the food bank. Great idea. Uh, three cans of food uh, and we're laughing. And so Adele was stoked. And so she went down there with her three cans of food um, and she handed them over expecting the debt to repay. And then they looked at one of the cans and said, that's too small. Um, and so she had, to go, she had to go get another can. Um, anyway, we got there in the end and the debt was forgiven. But that's nothing, right? That's nothing, is it? Nothing compared to the hopeless situation of this servant. His massive debt, his impossible debt has been forgiven. And Jesus is trying to teach Peter something. He's trying to teach us something as he tells this story. He's trying to remind Peter, he's trying to remind us, he's trying to remind you of how much you've been forgiven. How much you've been forgiven by God. He's saying, just stop. And think and drink it in for a moment. God has forgiven you, not three times, not seven times, not 77 times, not 70 times seven. The amount that God has forgiven you is incalculable. Your hopeless debt has been forgiven. And if we wonder where the debt comes from, we'll we'll have a look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2. The words should come up on the screen. Uh, In Romans chapter 2, he says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Each of us will repay, God will repay each person according to what they have done. You see, we've all racked up a bill of God's wrath. We all have a bill of God's righteous judgment. Anger, his righteous judgment. And Peter is being told by Jesus, and we're being told by Jesus, I'm sorry, but what you owe God is incalculable. Every harsh word, every selfish thought, every greedy action, every stubborn rejection of God, every good thing that you just couldn't be bothered to do, you've racked up a massive liability, a hopeless debt. As Paul will say elsewhere in Romans, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we all are like this servant, down on our knees before God, hopeless because of the debt that we owe him. We cannot even begin to repay it. And and like the master in the parable, God has taken pity on us. God has shown us mercy. God has not given us what we deserve. Our hopeless debt has been forgiven. It's been wiped out, completely taken away. It's been paid for. By Jesus himself. You see, this is the great scandal of Jesus' counter-kingdom. Jesus, the king, 
paid our debt for us. He paid it with his own blood. As Jesus was was crucified, he was paying the debt that we owe God, paying for our sin and guilt and shame. And so our incalculable debt has been forgiven. We've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And so how should we treat others? Well, actually, the story we get is how we should not treat others. Uh, We we, we get the example of what not to do. Uh, We see in the next part the the wrong response. So now the servant here, having such a great debt cancelled, we see his heart when he refuses to cancel, refuses to do the same, even just on a microscopic scale. Um, The servant, you can imagine he's pretty stoked, right? Um, uh, About what's gone down. He's just had like a bazillion dollar debt written off. And he's walking out on his way home, probably to tell his wife and his kids to break the good news. Hey, we're not going to be slaves. Uh, We're free to go. Uh, But he comes across one of his workmates on the way home. And, And look with me at verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. Now, this is shocking. It's supposed to be shocking. This guy has walked off from the brink of his family being sold into slavery because of his astronomically large debt. And he is so, sees a co-worker uh, and he totally nails him over something that is a few pennies in comparison. The difference between the two, bet, the two debts is this, this, this other servant owes one six hundred thousandth of what he owed of the debt that had been forgiven. And he grabs his fellow servant and he throws him up against the wall and he's got him by the throat and he's choking and he's yelling at him, give me the money. It's this horrific scene, isn't it? And even when the co-worker drops to his knees, gasping for breath, the co-worker begs and he uses the exact same phrase that this guy had just used to the king. He says, be patient with me and I will pay it back. And even despite the forgiveness that he's been shown, there is no pity There is no mercy. There is no forgiveness. And so he has him thrown into prison. Now the other servants who gathered around this scene, they don't miss what's going on. They're all over it. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything. They've seen this guy. They were there in the royal court where he had so much that was forgiven. And now moments later, a relatively small amount, and he is ruthless. There is no forgiveness. And what it tells us, it tells us is that he had no understanding of his own debt. He hadn't grasped that he had been let off an incalculable debt. This unforgiving servant doesn't realise the compassion and the kindness that has just been shown to him. And because he doesn't get it, he refuses to reciprocate it. He refuses to reciprocate even a fraction of it. And tragically, it ends up costing him everything, doesn't it? Uh, Words of this ugly scene make it back to the master. And then verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured 
until he should repay all that he owed. What makes the king so angry? Well, it's the failure of the forgiven one to forgive others, isn't it? See, the heartlessness of this debtor is found out. The servant, he, he loses it all because he's failed to forgive. He loses it all because his failure to forgive, it actually reveals that he has an unforgiven heart himself. And that's the whole point of this parable. This is what Jesus is getting at. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. You see, his failure to forgive, it reveals that he has an unforgiven heart. He's been found out. So let's put it all together. What is Peter saying? What is Jesus saying to Peter here? He's saying to Peter, our hopeless debt has been forgiven by God. But if you have your hopeless debt forgiven and you refuse to forgive others, well then you will be found out. Because our forgiveness of others, it will only flow from a forgiven heart. As I cast myself on God's mercy, as I come to the grips with the extent that God has forgiven me, that I owed God an incalculable debt, as I realize that he has settled that debt on my behalf through his son Jesus dying in my place on the cross, that God alone has removed my debt of guilt and shame that I could never repay. When that reality captures my heart, then I'll be free. I'll be able to forgive others. Forgiveness flows from the forgiven heart. Now, it's really important that we just pause for a moment and make sure we've got things the right way around here, okay? Um, forgiveness from God is not dependent on us forgiving others. Uh, that would be putting the cart before the horse. Jesus is not saying that uh, forgiveness is a work we need to do, as in I need to forgive you before I can receive forgiveness from God. That is not what he's saying here. He's saying our willingness to forgive... It's a diagnostic. It reveals whether we have been forgiven by God. It reveals that we have a forgiven heart. That our great debt has been paid for by Jesus. But you might be wondering, um, what what is forgiveness? Uh, It's a Christianese word that we use all the time, but we never define it. And so sometimes um, we struggle to know really what it means. Uh, Well, here are some things that forgiveness is not. Uh, Forgiveness is not forgetting, and forgiveness is not excusing. Uh, To kind of just brush aside sin and say, oh, it's nothing, don't worry about it. Um, That's not actually forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness, it doesn't remove consequences of sin. Uh, Although we won't seek revenge, it's still right that the person who has sinned to, to, to own up to the consequences of what they've done. And forgiveness, it doesn't mean that reconciliation is automatic. Uh, relationships will take time to heal. Trust will be rebuilt slowly. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we'll automatically open ourselves to be harmed in the same way again, immediately. But what forgiveness is, is forgiveness is when we choose to lay down our right to have the person owe us. So we refuse, when we lay down our right to have the person owe us, that we no longer hold the offence against them. Forgiveness is when we extend love and kindness to someone, even when they don't deserve it. 
Forgiveness is when we trust God to avenge. We trust God to bring justice rather than doing it ourselves. That's what it means to forgive. When we, out of love, release the debt that we are owed and set aside any rights we might have for revenge. When out of love we release the debt that we owe and we set aside any right we might have to revenge. It's when we say to someone, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to bring it up against you in the future. I'm not going to keep this as a record of wrongs. I'm going to entrust judgment to God and respond to you with love and care and forgiveness. And that's the shape of Jesus' counter-kingdom, isn't it? Where the undeserved mercy and grace and forgiveness that we have been shown by God, will we then show it to others? Now, it's not actually easy. It's not easy, but it is possible. It's not easy. I'm sure that in this room there are bound to be people who who find others here incredibly hard to forgive. You might have situations that are incredibly damaging and difficult. Uh, There are people here who will have experienced serious harm at the hands of others or who still bear the scars of being sinned against. There will be people here who are still waiting for justice for those who have hurt them. And forgiveness is hard. Well, how on earth do we begin to forgive well, where does, where does the ability even come from? Well, Jesus says it comes from a forgiven heart. It comes from meditating on your own debt to God and realising the debt to, that you owe to God is incalculable, but yet he has sent his son to die for you, to pay for it, to free you from that debt. You have been forgiven. And realising the, the significance of the debt that you've been forgiven and that the thing that your brother or sister has, has said sorry about is actually Nothing in comparison to what God has forgiven you. You see, when we grasp how much we are forgiven, then the church, the Christian community, followers of Jesus, it can be a place of unimaginable forgiveness. Forgiveness that flows from forgiven hearts. On the 25th of July in 1993, uh, at a church in Cape Town in South Africa, Uh, Four terrorists burst through the front doors, armed with machine guns and hand grenades. Uh, I actually have personally met some of the people who were there that night. Um, They just fired indiscriminately into the congregation of over a thousand people. Uh, Eleven people were killed and more than 50 were injured. The only reason they stopped was because, you know, in South Africa, someone sitting in the third row had a gun and shot back. But Darby Ackerman, a long-time member of the church, cradled his dying wife in his arms while they waited for the paramedic to arrive. A TV crew managed to get there before the paramedics and began to film the scene, and they approached Darby as he cradled his wife, and they asked him in that moment how he felt towards the perpetrators. And Darby looked at the camera, paused, and simply said, without any practice or rehearsing, He said, I will love my enemies, I will pray for my enemies, and I'll never, ever give in to revenge. Uh, A few years later, and this photo here is from uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where three of the attackers came face to face 
with people in the church that day. And here, in this moment, Darby is personally forgiving the men who murdered his wife. And as he forgave them, this was broadcast all over the news and it caused a scandal. People were like, why on earth would you forgive these people? Why would you do it? How could you do it? And this is what he said. He said, the Apostle Paul started out as a persecutor of Christians. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. And yet even Paul was forgiven. My wish for these young men is that they use this newfound freedom to seek the ultimate freedom, which is granted from God, freedom from sin. God has forgiven me, so I will forgive them. You see, this boundless forgiveness, it can only come from a forgiven heart. If God has forgiven you an incalculable debt, if Jesus has died in your place for sin, then you are free. You are free to forgive those who sin against you. It's not easy to do. So will you pray with me as we ask for God's help to do this? And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unlimited forgiveness that we owed you, that we owe you an incalculable debt, that we have sinned and rebelled against you in more ways than we even know. And Lord, we praise you so much for Jesus' death in our place, and we ask, Heavenly Father, that you give each of us a deep and personal and transformative understanding of what it is to be forgiven, so that we can forgive one another from the heart. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.